podcast. Uh, I'm one of the hosts, uh, Cyrus Hyderi. I'm also joined by other co-hosts, uh, David Keller. Uh, and we got a really informative episode tonight. Uh, we're going to be talking uh, fundraising in the marching arts, specifically through a crowdfunding platform called uh, Fans Raise. And uh, we have two uh, very special guests uh, for tonight's episode. Uh, so I guess we can get started with that. Uh, Brian, if you want to start start things off. Oh, sure. My name is Brian Gilbert, and uh, I'm the founder, CEO of Fans Raise, and uh, happy to be here. Thanks for having us. So so great to be back with you guys. Yeah, uh, it's great to have you uh, on again, even. And uh, <laughs> and uh, TJ, if you want to introduce yourself. Sure. Uh, my name is TJ Kelly. I am the uh, marketing guru. I don't know what the term to use for myself. Marketing guy with that fans works. raise. Totally yeah. works. Uh, so my job to uh, get us on, you know, amazing, mind blowing podcasts like this one <laughs> to uh, get the word out, you know, reach the people and hopefully teach people how to fundraise. Nice, nice. Oh, and uh, just uh, curious for those uh, listening that haven't met you guys before, uh, if you don't mind uh, telling, uh, where'd you guys march? What's your uh, marching experience? Oh man, marching experience. Um, well, mine was last century. Um, <laughs> j- just gonna say, um, yeah, I'm a, I'm I'm a, I'm a little long in the tooth, as they say. But uh, I marched a couple years of senior corps to start out. I marched Bush, I marched early '90s Crossman, and uh, ended up aging out with the Cadets of Bergen County, uh, now known as the Cadets, in 1994. Nice. I feel like everybody who marched cadets of Bergen County is required to add that little, you know, little little qualifier on the end there. You yeah, it. It, especially during that period when it was specifically called. That's what cadets I mean. Yeah, Bergen yeah. County. It's yeah. like the Ohio State University. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let, let's not go there tonight. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I marched uh, one and done. I marched with the Madison Scouts in 2004. Uh, was in the symbol line up there and had the time of my life. Um, I also went to UMass Amherst and played in the drum line there, uh, studied under Tom Hannum, Colin McNutt, Ian Hale, a number of, of heavy hitters up there, and I uh, had the uh, extreme pleasure and honor to teach for those guys in my last year of college, and then I went on to teach with the Spartans uh, up in Nashua, New Hampshire. I was the uh, quad and bass drum tech um, up in 2007, world champions that year. Uh, that's my, my drum corps experience, and then you know writing, teaching, high school, uh, all that kind of stuff. Awesome, nice. awesome. Um, all right, I guess before we get started, um, oh, uh, David, was there anything you wanted to, uh, say before we get started? I think this is the most I've ever spoken. The entire, this is the most you've ever spoken. <laughs> the entire month yeah. of the podcast. Yeah. I believe in you, Cyrus. I believe in you. <laughs> hey, uh, hi, everyone. Welcome to the Drum Corps Podcast. Um, yeah, I guess I'll start off just by saying this is, I'm really excited to have Brian on. Um, we had something else planned, and then we announced that. Uh, we're, we're moving that the Asians in drum corps next week. Uh, one of our co-hosts, Gareth, uh, had some had some stuff going on back home, so he had to take the week off. And then Brian came in and saved us, which I guess, Brian, if you're cool, this is a good time to announce that we actually, the Drum Corps podcast and Fans Raise are starting a partnership moving forward. Sure, um, yeah. we, you will be seeing a lot more Fans Raise. This will be probably the first, like, we're going to talk fundraising. But in the future, uh, we're trying to talk the way we'll do it in the future with them is if they have an ensemble that's working for fans raise we'll do something like our free days which is as you guys know we watch a live episode we talk about the show 
And then we tend to, after the last like month, month and a half, give a little 15, 10, 15 minute tangent at the end to show like, okay, you like this ensemble. How can you fundraise for it? Fans raise is one of those, um, is one of those sites that a lot of people are using nowadays. We're going to talk more in detail about it because sadly our activity is not a priority. Um, as we heard from the, our Team Texas episode, even though band is very much supported down there, band is supported because it makes football look better. Um, I went to college at Liberty University, and I really appreciate, I'm blanking on the athletic director's name, um, but our band was very well funded simply, again, because the athletic director went, we, if we want to become a D1 school, which is what Liberty was trying to do, the band has to be good. And so we as a college didn't have to fundraise, but a lot of times these high school bands, um, they aren't given the same budget as, say, a drum corps or a Broadway production, or these drum corps still have to raise money. Um, even though we're in a recession, <clears throat> excuse me, gas is not always sub $2, and that's not including diesel. Food is expensive nowadays. You must get medical staff. We as a podcast have been talking about some mental health staff members on board that are trained in how to deal with suicide, depression, eating disorders. Then you need to get a design team. And that's just a ton of money. So one of the things that we think is well, good from this episode, we aren't just going to be talking fans raise. We're going to be talking fans raise as a medium, but just how to properly fundraise. And even if you choose not to use fan raise for yourself, what are some of the pitfalls you can avoid? And um, I guess I'll get into that. Let's just get into, I guess, pitfalls of fundraising. Um, I don't know, Cyrus, if you want to, I, I know you You probably and I, like how many Marchathon letters would you get per year? Just, just giving people your address out and like knowing you weren't going to give a dime. So how many Marchathons have you received? Have I received? Um, I think I've received literally four marchathon letters over the span of a couple of years from people that have to send those out i got 15 one summer because uh for any of those on implying for one of those address lists i just went i want to see how many cores i can get people send me stuff i won't give you anything but the funniest joke will get like two dollars that's all i can get so like even from that model by itself you just found out like me and cyrus are currently marching we ain't given anything because we're paying our own fees, but like the March of model is just like, go get 40 addresses and do stuff like this. And this ask people for stuff. You don't have to get that, get your mom, get your grandma. I, my high school, we did something like that. Um, when I was teaching last year, but, and so from that 40, I, I got like 700 bucks over like two or three responses one year. So I guess over the 80 addresses I sent out, I got $700 from three people that's not very good numbers and to kind of show what good fundraising can do um brian how many people do you guys put out for a um a fan raise mailing list when you do stuff like that how many do the members have to get on average well it, it, it's pretty variable but i can i can tell you what our best practice data suggests so we've run in the neighborhood of about 300 different organizational based campaigns over the last three plus years. Uh, that's a lot. So we, we're getting into that area where we have some data that is at least directional, where we can say, all right, well, if a group does this, this, and this, this is basically the result that, that we can lead to. 
your mileage may vary in terms of you know the the type of ensemble, how it's in, you know how the members are engaged, that sort of thing. But mainly, we're we're finding that if organizations are member by member, they're building contact lists in the neighborhood of twenty contact uh, donor contacts per member. Uh, that's a that's a great number. And twenty is not um, it's it's not overwhelming. But at the same time, it's, you know, it's solid. I mean, if, if you can get uh, half of that list to donate to a, a certain ask that your ensemble is putting out, uh, that's a pretty, that's a pretty solid batting average. And over, if you extrapolate that out over the course of an ensemble, you have a hundred kids in your marching band and each one of them don't, uh, you know, develops 10 donors, eight donors, sometimes as low as five, um, you know, the, the math just becomes, you know, astronomical when you really total up how much an organization can earn. Yeah. And as a, ma- my, my bad, I mean, I interrupt you. No, no. I was say as a math teacher, cause I teach math now, <laughs> five out of 20 is more important, more impressive than three out of 40. So we're just going to be talking throughout this episode. How do we get that even though it's still like, it's still less than half. We don't, we, we wish it was more, but, we're seeing more, I think, as Brian just said, we're seeing more consistently that quarter of the people you send out, you get responses. Well, for those that get that notorious cadets marchathon that used to be the big thing or any core of their marchathon, like it was just kind of a joke to us. And like, how do we fix that? How do we address that? So I guess the first issue I want to talk about is just kind of why snap raise and GoFundMe. Uh, I know TJ, this is a big thing for you. Like, why don't those work very well and like why are we seeing come springtime a ton of gofundmes but not a lot of actual money being raised yeah it's a good question so first those two platforms are different from each other right gofundme everybody who who knows anybody in drum corps uh nowadays anyway is familiar with what happens every spring you know when the gofundme campaigns hit facebook and this is members trying to raise funds for themselves trying to pay off their own tuition or offset it in some way. Uh, and you know, it's, you make your own campaign page, you put up a photo of you in uniform and you talk about how this is your lifelong passion and all you've ever wanted to do is March, please help. You know, and we've all seen these things. Uh, that is member driven, right? Uh, SnapRaise on the other hand is similar to what we do in that they work with the organization. Uh, they might have some, some member level stuff, but you know, they are primarily like going uh, to the to the top, and they are they focus on athletics more than anything else, uh, and they have you know a pretty good business. You know, I'm not here to to you know speak ill of them. They they do a good job. Uh, they just do things a little differently than we do. So uh, you would probably not you know as as a member or a fan or a friend of of other people marching, you'd probably not see a lot out of snap rays. Um, you would be seeing what your favorite you know well since it's athletics, what your favorite sports team or something is doing with snap rays. You might see that, but you're not really seeing snap rays's name out there. Um, so that might work and, you know, a group might do that and that's fine. I have nothing bad to say about it. Uh, they have a different model from us on the GoFundMe side, you know, that, that we've all seen those and they don't work very well because number one, there's a million of them and it's just fatigue, right? You know, I don't have the, the money or the time or the patience or whatever to be donating to everybody that I see come across my, my Facebook stream asking for it. Um, but also that, you know, there's some psychology there, right? My, my job uh, with, with fans raise is to learn who else is out there and, and get the word out as best as possible. So part of what I do is study what GoFundMe does and what SnapRaise does and what everybody else is doing and learn from. And one of the things you can pretty easily document on the GoFundMe side 
is the most successful campaigns, uh, which by the way are massive, they're raising millions and millions and millions of dollars. Uh, what they all have in common is that they are they are on in behalf of somebody else. They're a third party raising money for someone else who needs it, right? So it's not please give me money. It's please support this worthy cause. Give somebody else more deserving than I am your money to help them, right? And the member please help me march drum corps campaigns are not that. They are a direct ask, please help me, right? And so there's some psychology that gets in the way. It's easier to agree with you and give money to this mutually shared interest. For some reason, it's easier for us to kind of get our heads around that and open up our wallets than it is for me to look at you and say, yes, you, my friend, may have my money. For some reason, we have a harder time with that. Uh, and some folks have a harder time even with the ask. So there's a lot of, you know, kind of big and small differences there. Um, but, you know, the fact that it's crowdfunding does not necessarily mean it's it's going to work and does not necessarily mean it's the same thing that, you know, that, that they're all the same, if that makes any sense. So and uh, I've, and a big part there, right? of the of the success percentage, I guess you could say, really comes down to the fact that if you leave it up to social media, if you're just hitting share, 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 uh, we all, we're all aware of the Facebook algorithm or we have no idea what it is, but we know it's a thing, right? So um, Facebook has a vested interest in making sure that things are, are sponsored, things that are boosted, promoted, pay for play. Those are the things that are getting onto the news feeds and you know the the percentage is extremely low like uh, there's some things my wife shares that i don't see um and and we've identified ourselves as a married spouse on facebook and i still don't see half the stuff she shares so i think it's a pretty good indication that you know if you're just leaving a fundraising effort out to a facebook algorithm like gofundme does it's it's going to be limiting like you're you're going to do you could do okay but you're counting on a lot of things. You're counting on it going viral. You're counting on it, um, you know, just kind of catching some sort of tailwind along the way. And that's that, that's tough. But if, if you're able to actually surgically zero in on potential donors and you're able to deliver a one-to-one -one message via email in a way that, uh, you know, it's extremely engaging, uh, you're, you're going to get a lot further. And, and in the past, back in the day, that took the form of the, uh, you know, the form letters, you know, handwritten out, uh, you know, or at least like a form letter with like blank fields that you would handwrite their recipient's name in, you know, for, you know, marchathons back in the day. Um, this is digital. And right now we're seeing incredible responses with organizations that are able to, uh, you know, engage one-to-one -one through their membership. Uh, in the era of COVID, which I think is a, a pretty powerful thing. So we've addressed the issue and it seems like at least with fans raise, you guys are trying to fix a lot of that impersonal stuff. I know we like, I was, uh, I marched in 2016 and 17. Um, and some of the things that I was being taught is like how to use a GoFundMe and stuff like that. And I would do it all right. And kind of like you said, like I'd get nothing. I didn't even realize the Facebook algorithm was going against me, which now makes me very frustrated. <clears throat> Excuse me. But like, and it's even then, um, I would only see like one out of every 15 GoFundMes would have more than a hundred dollars. And even less than that had over like 500. And like, I don't want to sound sexist saying this, but like as someone who also used to serve and work in food, the people that I was seeing being very successful in GoFundMe's were more females than males. 
So I don't want to be like fans raises the fundraiser for males. It's just like whenever you, you go like kind of as TJ said, you're just asking for money. It's, it's very like the psychology of like what works if, and even there, the whole idea I had when I fundraised, I just need to get 2000, uh, $20,000 just for myself. Um, no, it was 10,000. I need to get $10,000 for myself, uh, just so I can go March my season at C2 with like travel costs and car and oil. Like I, I tracked it all up and said, I need this amount of money. And I walked up to my first people and I went, I need, I need $10,000. And they went, I can't give you that. I can't even give you a chunk of it. But like, if an organization's like, hi, we are crown, we need $30,000. We need this and et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's a psychology of it when you kind of do these things of as a group rather than individual having your members which are your products and the people we see on youtube the people we see in videos actually go out talking to people that's where we're seeing the most success in our campaigns it's why like it's why a marchathon does kind of well for high school bands but a car wash in a small town like alta vista or rustburg virginia does fantastic because like that's the people in their own community and they're seeing them so how did fans raise get started? Like, how did you guys get this idea for stuff? I know, I think it was something to do with the Crossman. Um, I know that's where you marched, Brian, but like, so how did you got, how did you want to start this organization? Yeah. So back in the summer, like spring, I would say spring of 2016, um, as an alum of the Crossman and following them on all the social channels and being a part of the alumni association, they were involved with uh, a capital campaign to raise $100,000 for a new equipment truck. And if you follow the Crossman, they, they don't do anything halfway. Like I, I really give them props for this. Like they really, um, they're, they're first class all the way. And what they wanted was an equipment truck that actually had like a, a first level and a second level and, and a hydraulic lift and um, is basically a NASCAR trailer. You know the, the the kind that they put you know stock cars in for NASCAR, and you know I, I however they had it oriented I think like mallet instruments were on the bottom and you know heavier equipment was on the top somehow but you know it was it was a, the ask was very in, interesting to me and I donated like a good alumni should um, but you know it was a combination of phone snail mail I got a couple emails. Uh, it was everything. And as I dug into it, I was really fascinated with the way that they put this whole thing together. And I thought, wow, that, that's really neat. Um, that must cost a lot. And when I kind of peeled back the layers of it, there was, you know, probably some sort of nonprofit consultant, you know, running this capital campaign, or at least somebody in, you know, with a development background. Uh, and they were utilizing some tools. And I thought, wow, you know, is there a way to take what they did, that model, and just strip out all the extraneous stuff and keep the stuff that's like the most important and platformize it and make it accessible to any kind of ensemble, whether it's a middle school, a high school, a community orchestra or band or a vocal ensemble, community theater, like regardless of how much of a booster program they had or hadn't, like how can we build an approach around this, which is turnkey, plug and play, self-serve, web-based, ready to go. And um, I engaged with a couple of people I knew uh, from the marching space 
uh, one of which used to be my uh, one of which used to be my drill writer when I was a high school band director. I was a high school band director for about seven years, and uh, you know I, I, I reached out to my old drill designer, and I knew he had a background in IT. I knew he was in, you know involved in. I, I thought he was more hardware, but came to find he was much more software. I was like, get this idea. I think it could really help improve the condition of things in the marching and performing arts space. And it's like, ooh, okay, I'm, I'm interested. And, you know, two hours later, we had a partnership and, <laughs> and uh, we built a company and we, we designed this platform from the, from the drawing board up uh, on how we can build a web-based platform on, you know, being able to push a, a crowdfunding campaign out uh, in a variety of different forms, whether it was uh, members trying to fundraise for a band trip or activity fees or uh, what they call down south, a fair share um, type of payment. Uh, you know, you did a, you, recently you guys did an episode on Texas, so you know what fair, fair share is. So um, it, it, it's really interesting, um, all the different dimensions that can, that can be brought to that. Um, you know, so all in all, and I think my audio just blopped out and came back in here. So hope you, hopefully you guys, you guys can hear me, right? Oh yeah, yeah we can still hear you. All right, cool. So, um, you know, all in all, we, we, we had this idea, we started building this platform and when we actually released the initial beta version of Fansraise out onto the internet and Google, um, indexed us for the first time, which was really exciting. Uh, we built a Facebook presence, a Twitter account, um, posted a couple of blog posts that I had, you know, come up with myself and uh, the core director for Genesis, a gentleman by the name of Chris McGonigal, uh, who's, you know, as I've gotten to know Chris and work with him, um, lifelong friend now, <laughs> uh, we both came up through drum corps in the same early nineties years, um, had very shared experiences as low brass players. Um, you know, he's like, I, I dig what you're doing. I, I really think this is cool. I think the activity needs this. Um, can we do this? And, and we had built the site and we built a couple of pieces of content. We were not ready for human consumption at all. And, uh, I said, look, we, we think we're onto something here, but we need to test it. And Chris said, I'm in like, let me be your Guinea pig. Let us be your first customer. So we set up a campaign for the drum corps Genesis out of San Antonio, Texas. Um, they raised a, about $30,000 or so their first year. Um, That's awesome. And, and that was with a, a platform still very much in beta, um, you know, buggy errors being thrown every five minutes. Uh, the kids persevered, they pushed through and they did great. And then they came back the next year and did even better um you know in, in the season of 2018 so um that was really exciting to see a, an ensemble like that just raise a lot of money really fast um and i wasn't sure we were we were ready for that at first and and they proved us wrong um we were kind of like uh, we want to test it and they were like no we need this money now and uh it worked out really well i think it's also something that shows where fans raise is successful um, compared to GoFundMe and for any 
uh, any band director or band booster or drum corps director that watches this later, or as you said, choir, whatever, because it works for all music ensembles. Um, Genesis is a newer core. I believe they started in 2015. Correct me if I'm wrong. They were a little earlier than that. Like yeah. they, they just had their 10 year anniversary. Okay. And so they're, they're, they're just from this decade, which, and they are, they just went to world-class a year or two ago. Um, and they're able to raise $30,000 and Carolina crown just did a $30,000 campaign as well. And both of those hit their goals. And I'm pretty sure both exceeded it. So what we're hearing is from the drum corps world, we're having an ensemble like Carolina crown that has a DCI world championship. That's got an alumni base that's older than me and I'm 28. So we have a 30 years to pull from as well as top educators across the country have alumni that are currently the brass caption head of Cavaliers are able to pull all these people in and then a small little core called like Genesis, which in 2016 hadn't really cracked the scene of like, everyone knows their name. We're able to just pull in money. You can say what you want about Texas and like how that's the thing. But like you, when you don't have alumni like that, you, that's, that's the problem with fundraising. Fans raise seems to have solved that problem. And then you can even have, can like have high schools and stuff like that. Yeah. I, and I think that that's why it's, congruent with the high school level because a lot of high school organizations when they fundraise they don't think about alumni because it's just not you know my alumni are poor right like your <laughs> alumni they're recent and they're probably in college you know they're they're one level removed of the, of the ensemble itself so they're they're poor high school or they're poor college kids so what are they going to contribute but yeah. what you need to what we do is we when we coach our members our participants in terms of like who belongs on your contact list. We're, we're looking at mentors, we're looking at teachers, uh, you know, obviously family, you know, maybe not mom and dad because they write enough checks, but we're talking aunts, uncles, grandparents, you know, and there's three magical criteria we've established here. So number one, they need, if the person you're putting on your list isn't a direct contact, like they don't know your first name, they don't belong on your list. All right, because if they don't know your name, you send them an email, that's spam. Like, we, we don't, we don't want to do that. So they need to know by first name, they need to have a little bit of money to, to throw your way. Like, and I'm, I'm not talking they need to be millionaires. Like, they, like. I'm not messaging Bill Gates. Probably not. Steve but, Jobs. You know, just, just, they're Barack not Obama. Peers. They're not Donald Trump. high school or I've sent college. them letters. I've sent them letters. Okay. They didn't Did respond. Work? No, yeah. not at no. all. Waste of time. That, that, was, <laughs> that was four emails. I, I had to like get something quick and we just shared it around C2 and got it in fast. Right. And, and I'm much more like when we coach our ensembles in terms of how we're engaging with our members, like I'm much more interested in, I don't, you know, 20 contacts is the goal. If you put 10 contacts in and you get eight donors because you were thoughtful and you were like, you really thought about, you know, who's affected me with an A, affected me as, you know, a musician, who's come to my gigs, who, who cares? Like, 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 you know, it's family, it's friends, it's neighbors. It's the neighbor across the cul-de-sac that hears me, you know, with my drum pad out on my back deck, you know, playing to, you know, show segments to a recording. Th those are the people that get it. And if you fill a list with, with a bunch of those people that know you by first name, 
got a couple nickels to rub together and they have some sort of an understanding about this marching thing or this concert thing or whatever your art is, they're, they're going to contribute with a, a high percentage of the time. So I, I think, you know, one of the things we've really been successful with is keeping ensembles with their eye on the ball. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's a direct, you know, the members are basically pre-qualifying these contacts to come into, <laughs> you know, into circulation, um, as opposed to, you know, posting advertisements for a mattress sale or a car wash or a bake sale or whatever it may be. Um, not to mention that, you know, fundraising through events, you know, uh, an auction, a gala, a golf outing, you know, looking at my calendar, August of 2020, there's not a lot of galas going on right now. Um, in my day job, consulting with nonprofits <laughs> um, across the United States, you know, every nonprofit is trying to figure out a new way to raise money right now. And one of the things that I do as part of my day job is just, you know, how can you do this more efficiently? You know, how can you move this digitally online where everyone is existing right now? Um, you know, there, there's a lot to it. And I think that, you know, for better or for worse, you know, pandemic notwithstanding, you know, FansRaise was kind of looking ahead to, you know, how do we fundraise in a way that's quick, it's easy, no fuss, no muss, uh, not a lot of overhead. You don't have to do a big elaborate event, uh, you know, and those are fun, but they're a lot of work. That's, uh, that's what I was going to dive into. I'm, I'm going to jump in on here, Brian, but like we, you know, we don't look at uh, fundraising as what I would call a zero sum game, right? It's not fans raise or event or snap raise or GoFundMe. You can combine all of these things and you should, right? Performing arts should be showered in everyone's donations and, and be raking in the millions because it's the best thing on earth, if you ask me anyway. Uh, and so by any means necessary, if you can get more money for your program, please do. And we want to be in your arsenal of, you know, of tools available to you to, to help you raise that money. You know, when you can eventually have bake sales again, do a bake sale, you know, do, do mattress sales, do, do all of these things, include us in that, that would be great. But, you know, we're trying to show you that, you know, there's, there's more ways out there that you might not have considered yet. Uh, and I think you'll have some success if you come our way. But, you know, if, if you look at just the way money lands in people's hands, right? If you steer away, from, you know, from, from illegal things like stealing it, then there's basically you ask for it or you provide something in exchange. Those are your options, okay? So the events, right, the bake sales, the mattress sale, the car wash, the whatever, that you're providing a service and you're asking people to pay you money in exchange for that service. Now, of course, we're all clear that this is a nonprofit fundraiser. So you're asking people to like give more than is probably worth for that brownie or the car wash or whatever. And there's an understanding there, uh, but you're providing something. So there's a time cost and there's a logistics cost and there's probably a, you know, kind of a, um, you know, I don't know, materials or whatever you have to buy. So there's a cost associated there. On the other hand, if you're just asking people for money, there's, you know, sometimes a work cost in doing that, right? That's the filling out the, the letters that the cadets move in, the marchathon letters, that takes time, right? Uh, but there's varying degrees of success. And we have found a way to automate part of this process to make it smoother, make it more efficient, and I think more effective, right? To Brian's point, if you can add just 10 people and yet eight of them are donating. Now, David, I'm not a math teacher, but I'm pretty sure that's 80%. That's a really high, you know, yeah. percentage, right? Percentages aren't, aren't uh, you know, the be all end all here. 
it's the eight donations. We but they help. Up. They help. You know what I mean? And and you know, if I can get eighty percent of a hundred donors, well then, boom, that's obviously way better. But nobody's putting in a, you know a hundred donors, and nobody's getting eighty of them to say yes. Um, but you see my point, right? We, we are trying to be another kind of tool in the toolbox for for raising funds. And you know, if you have checked out any of the stuff we did with Carolina Crown and, and you know, kind of kind of promoted and published after the fact, uh, you could go back and listen and hear Jim Coates talk about how they have three regular fundraisers they do every year. They do a holiday one, they do a, a marchathon kind of springtime one, and they do this push uh, in like the Easter times. So a spring, summer, and a, and a holiday season. And they just do it every single year. And we replaced their Marchathon this year, not having a season. Um, but we fit into this kind of regular schedule. So I thought that was the perfect example of how you can, you know, scratch something you don't want to do anymore and, and replace it with, you know, trying something new like us. Or you could just fit it into in between the spaces of, of you know, programs you're already running to raise funds. So there's, the sky's the limit. There's a million options. Uh, and, you know, obviously I'm partial to our platform. I think we do a great job and, and you're really going to love it. But the point is we're all on the same boat. We're all trying to raise money for the performing arts to keep the arts thriving and to keep kids having these you know, life-changing experiences that we all had. So we're trying to you know, contribute to that. Cyrus, do you have something? Uh, oh, sorry, I just saw your message, my bad. Oh, no, so, um, um, so I have a question for you guys. How easy is it to train somebody to do this kind of stuff? Um, so I think we've talked, we've expressed the need. We've, uh, we talked about what Fringe does. We've made, we've made comments that it's been successful. So like, what do we need to actually do this? Is this something like I'm an assistant director um, and I've been talking to the band directors that I've worked with previously in my area. I'm like, hey, I, my podcast is partnering with these groups called Fandrays. And they all went, oh, they're that GoFundMe thing. I'm like, apparently not. So like, I guess sell it to me, but then like, how do you, I sell it to my members? <laughs> I, I, is it something that like, I can just, Hey, I need 10 addresses or like, is it something that you guys will come in and consult with? Or is it, is it really that easy to train the, the educators and then turn around and train the kids? How, how wait, fast yeah. does that turn around? Wait, wait, Brian, wait, wait, you gotta let me go first. All right, because, you go first. All right, you so go. I, I'm the marketing guy, right? And I'm, I'm newer to this. I've been on the team two years where Brian has four here. So he's, he's got the real answer to this question. But the reason I wanted to dive in on it, David, is when we did this thing with Crown four days ago or something, the very first slide says, it, no, it's not like GoFundMe. We get that all the time. Yeah. And I, to me, that is like, as a marketing person, I'm actually like jealous and envious of GoFundMe because they have successfully co-opted the idea of crowdfunding. You know, they are Jello, they are Xerox, they are... Google Kleenex, they they are now the brand. You think uh, crowdfunding and people just see the GoFundMe. <laughs> logo, right? We are crowdfunding, beautiful. but we are a very different kind of, of crowdfunding. And you know, for my money, we're better than than that method. So no, we're not like. If next time you hear somebody say that, David, do you know, do me a personal favor and say no. It's not like GoFundMe. Yeah, especially for the I did. Know why. I did. I did. Yeah. <laughs> so so we have that we have that established that like and. Um, whatever, you know, we kind of established it's more of a group think than a that think. We discussed the psychology. How do I get my members not yeah. to just write Harambe 12 times? Like, yeah. how, how do so, I, how, and how easy is it to train them to find those people? Cause like, right. and I guess I'll help you guys go a step further. I work in a very title one district in Virginia. 
It's very poor. We're like, our band fees can't be more than like a hundred dollars. We talked about making 120 and a lot of kids are like, I, I literally, I can't do that. Um, and their parents can afford that while, and to make it even harder, the number one reason my kids quit band is to get jobs to support their single parents. So like we're in an area where like we very much survive off fundraising and that fundraising for the last few years hasn't been there. So how can I get my kids motivated? How can I convince my parents this is the way to do it? And how can I like get money? I guess kind of like TJ said, in the hands of our band from an area where there's not a lot of it. So how do I do that? And how do yeah. you train them? So it gets back to your last question about how do you coach the kids, the educators, the boosters, and that's all built into our platform. So, you know, we, we've been, and I say we, I mean, you know, fans raise collectively our, you know, our, our, our team, we've been directors. Uh, both from an educator standpoint, as well as a nonprofit executive director, board members. We've been, I am a band parent with two kids in a high school music program. So, you know, it's, how do we, how do we get band directors look at, look at it differently? How do we get kids to view it as a way where, you know, most things that, you know, music programs sell, are not always, um, you know, the, the kids don't buy into that. You know, they're, they're, all right, you want me to sell candles or wrapping paper or, you know, poinsettias at Christmas time? It, 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 it's not them. But, you know, one of the things that we do is we first, we educate the, you know, the ensemble director, because that's the person that, that's standing up in front of the group. Their job is to get kids or performers to do things they're not 100% sure they can do, right? Their, their job is to get them to kind of stretch the envelope and take some risks. And fundraising is really no different than that. So artistically, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're stretching the envelope, so to speak. There's no reason that a fundraising exercise like this can't be the same way. And, you know, we're, we're educating the students, we're educating the teacher you know, in terms of how to position this to the kids, how to make it a big deal, how to talk about it, um, regardless of the socioeconomic climate that they live in, whether it's a Title I district, you know, or, you know, a extremely affluent area, like, you know, Beverly Hills. Um, we've seen organizations that are very economically, you know, in economically depressed areas, We've seen, ur, you know, super urban programs. We've seen, um, you know, programs where the majority of the kids are on uh, subsidized food plans like lunches. Um, you're still at like, like the results all basically are proportional to the buy-in of the students, I guess you could say. And it, the, the trick is getting the director to make an emphasis and if the director is making it a big deal, then the kids are going to follow through. Like th that's a baseline. And whether you're trying to raise $2,000 or $200,000, you know, the, the, those are the same ideals that transfer across all the barriers. I might, I might add to that if I could, that the, 
one of the beauties of, of this style of fundraising, and this isn't unique to us, we, you know, we, we leverage it, but it's not, we're not the only ones who do. But one of the beauties of this style of fundraising is that you are not limited to how many kids you have, right? So, you know, Brian just kind of alluded to this, but we, for example, we've seen indoor drum lines with 30 kids raise 16 grand in a couple of weeks, right? You know, and, and phenomenal success rates like that, you could, if you have 30 kids and that translates to 16 grand, if you had had 300 kids, would that have turned into 160 grand? Well, that's what the math says, right, David? But uh, I don't think it, you know, it's not exactly a one-to-one. My point though, is that the number of donors is not dependent on the number of members. And so if, you know, to, to your question originally, David, if it's, you know, the socioeconomic status of the area dictates that it's just harder to come by donations, that, that it exists in the world and no one can deny it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't have any, right? So for my money, that means, you know, you, you ask for lower dollar values from more people, right? So with your own fundraising from C2, you were talking about, I needed to get to 10 grand. And I think uh, previously you said you were going like a hundred bucks a pop, right? Mm-hmm. So try to get somebody to shell out a hundred dollars. Uh, and I, I'm going to imagine that the students you stand in front of, if you had said, all right, go ask somebody for a hundred dollars, they'd be like, no way. It's just not going to happen. But if you ask 20 people for $5, you get to that same total oh, yeah. number. You got to hustle a little harder to ask 20 people to do it, but it's easier to get five bucks out of somebody than it is to get a hundred bucks out of somebody. So the, the, the potential there is, is infinite, right? There's 7 billion people on the planet. If you could reach all of them for five bucks, your arts program would have no trouble ever again. Right? So you can't always be asking more people. There's, you know, there's a rate of diminishing returns and eventually it kind of slows down, but you see my point, you don't have to be stuck in, I need a hundred dollars per person, or I only have 30 kids. I can only get so much we don't have those kinds of restrictions. You can always just kind of recombine and, and find a, you know, a way that's going to work with your program. Yeah. I, I think it was one of those things where in 2016, I basically, I got like 200 bucks from my parents. I know it was like 24. Like I, I did some yard work for them. And like, that was kind of all I could really get. Cause like I did the GoFundMe stuff. And then kind of like you guys said, where you kind of um, sell it down. I had my college band director, I just asked him, like, how do I fundraise? Like, I have this plan. And he went, this is how to do it. And that's, he taught me the never ask for your end goal. If anything, make it smaller than it looks. So people feel like they're not doing as much. And then whenever someone asks you how close you are, never tell them. Because it's that idea of, I know you guys have the amount, but just like, hey, I need to get like 10,000. I need to get like, I think it said $7,000. Like, oh, cool. How much do you have so far? I just want you to give me a hundred and this is how I'm going to do it. They're like, how, where are you at? I'm like, I, 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 I have this much saved. I have this much there. I'm spending this much. I just need to raise this much, which is like three of that 7,000. I just am asking for like a hundred bucks. And like when, once I started breaking stuff down, it, it really like it, I don't want to say cash started rolling, but doing the kind of model of even just little things of not necessarily even trading services, just kind of that I picked people that invested in me. I think I went three for three of people I asked for money um, for donations and they gave it to me just because like you guys said, it was all about it. But I think Cyrus has a good question about how I'll let Cyrus ask if he put something there. I found it was a good question for y'all. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's just like going a little bit back to, uh, you know, for programs, having the director really be involved in like really in the process of being on top of things with fundraising to make sure the students are also, uh, and I know we touched upon this during our planning meeting yesterday. Um, I know when it comes to fundraising, especially with independent groups, uh, typically it's viewed upon as something that's done more specifically like by not just the members, but basically like admin staff. 
in terms of the entire organization, so including teaching staff, uh, how involved should everybody uh, like be involved with being on top of doing fundraising? Like even for teaching staff, like can they just be passively involved, or like does literally everyone have to be like really active? This is a really good question. So Cyrus, I'm really glad you brought this up. So I, I feel like so when you look at it from the organizational standpoint if i'm hired to come teach the brass section right and i'm standing in front i'm bringing the technique program i'm here to do a job and more than likely that job does not include or was not framed to include fundraising so expecting that individual to really put out a lot of emphasis on uh, crowdfunding campaign or any kind of fundraising is probably not very possible. Right. But here's what we know. We know that in, you know, obviously in the drum corps world and definitely in the marching arts world, and I would even extrapolate beyond that, you know, whether it's vocal or theater, whoever is the educator or the director standing in front of you, whether it's a, you know, a section technician or a caption header, whoever it is, that individual, like the sun rises and sets with what they think, you know, when you're an individual performer. So like when I march, like, I don't know what it was, but like you're, you're pre-programmed. My job is to make that person happy, you know, and whether they're asking for me to like center an attack put my feet in time, move my air, like whatever the task is, if that just transitions quickly over to, hey, we're doing this campaign. Did you put your 20 contacts in yet? Like that lands with me. Like that becomes a big deal because it's a big deal to that person standing in front of me. And and I really believe that the organizations that get it, uh, drum corps are a great example. Like they tend to be very strategic. The core director in most cases is logistical it's a logistical figure that generally doesn't always sit up in the top of the press box running ensemble or giving artistic direction they've hired the people to do that you know they're they're in charge of fundraising alumni relations logistics like that's that's the world they live in but the caption head my like if i'm a a brass player my caption head or my subsection tech is where, you know, I get up in the morning, like I'm about that today and that's it. So if it's important to them, it's now important to me. So all they have to do is talk about it. All they have to do is emphasize it, talk about a little bit of the beginning of a block, the end of a block, whatever it might be. Um, and, And that's really all that's required. They don't have to do much of the heavy lifting. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Cause, uh, for anyone that marches, um, the teaching staff, especially your subsection text or your caption head, in the activity when you march, when you go on tour or whatever, those are the people you spend the most time with. In fact, those are the people, uh, I guess, uh, what you're trying to point across is these are the people, the members actually like sort of develop uh, relationships with, uh, obviously on an educational level, but they're the people that they're the closest to out of everyone else. So if, from what you're saying, if the teaching staff just makes the effort to uh, not like hammer too much fundraising, but like uh, 
if they just simply treat it as important, then it's more likely the members will buy into that. Is that basically what you're saying? That's absolutely it. Yeah, you know, I, I would I call mean, that accountability. You know what I mean? Right. Like the, the, the staff member, I, I feel this way with the, the bands I teach at and I write for, and like outside of fundraising entirely, the field staff or the field techs or whoever, to use the marching arts as the example, they're the ones who have the most direct influence on a daily basis over the members, right? If for no other reason than physical proximity, I stand near you during rehearsal. Right. That's enough. That's all it takes right. to be like, you hear my voice and I critique your playing and moving and performing and all this. And this is the way our relationship works. So therefore that tech, it's their job to hold you accountable, right. play your notes better, hit your dots better, do your choreo and your work better, fundraise better. That's the assignment. Right. And so Brian, I think you're hitting it on the head, right? If, yeah. if, if you come back with that tech and say, did you do this? And if you know the answer is yes, great. High fives, or in the area of physical distance, you know, social distancing, air high five, uh, you know. And if you didn't, then I have something to say about it because that's my job. My job is to hold you accountable. And if I don't hold you accountable, then that person who's way up top there is going to hold me accountable. And that's how this whole process works, right? That is a matter of influence and you know accountability. And so uh, I think it goes. I'm oh, sorry to one more point, Brian. Uh, yeah. I think it goes a lot better if the the staff also participate in the fundraising but it's not required right and so because that's a professional relationship they were hired to be there they have a certain set of things that they are they have to do for that job and often fundraising is not one of them right brian's absolutely right if they care out of the goodness of their heart they want to do it that even sets a better example that the members can you know aspire to aside from the accountability thing so that can help on two fronts plus you get more money out of it but it's not required yeah so we've now oh my my bad um, so now that we've made our list, um, I don't mean to move on. We are we're about to start wrapping up here. So now that we have made our list and done all the things like that, Brian, what are some of the tips and tricks you've seen? And not even just a fans race or whenever we have a list of donations or donors, what are some of the tips you've seen to actually get responses? Because I think you kind of hit it on the head when we've described some of these other campaigns is like, I don't want to say the word is cold, but very impersonal mm-hmm. the way I- I, I'm just a kind of, a, it's the difference between like a text message and a phone call type thing. So like, what are some, what are some effective, uh, I guess, tricks of the trade that are the best way you've seen that I've made my 20 emails. I've gotten them from these people. I'm about to turn them into my band director. What can I do now to get that money to actually come in? Well, the, the beautiful thing about fans raise, uh, is that the band director does not need to touch any information at all. So there, there's no turning names into a band director or-, or Really? Outlook. Interesting. Yeah, so it, every individual member is doing their own thing in basically in a vacuum. So let, let's put it this way. Let's say I'm an I'm a educator, I'm a, I'm a band director. I have a hundred kids in my ensemble and my challenge to them is look i need you all to put 20 contacts and they need to be people that know you by first name people that have a couple of nickels to rub together and people that have some awareness of the fact that you're involved in this marching program go they don't send me the the work to do they're you know they're logging on they're um you know downloading our mobile app they're, um, you know, grabbing contacts from their mobile devices address book and bringing them into the platform. 
uh, once the campaign goes live, the, the system automatically sends emails out. There's nothing for that person to write or compose or any kind of content they need to create. Um, it, and it, the, I, I think the magic bullet here is that when the system solicits a contact to potentially consider a donation, it's through the voice of that, that student. So it's like, hi, Jim, you know how important the marching arts are to me. You know, it's a big part of my life and this is what I do and you know that. But, you know, my ensemble is looking uh, to, to grow some of our resources and, you know, we're, we're you know, taking on some, some interesting challenges this year. We've got a huge trip coming up in the spring we're trying to raise money for and I'd love it if you could look at my campaign page. It's one-to-one. It's personal. The uh, the narrative is coming through the lens of the participant, the, the the kid, as opposed to the ensemble asking, and that's that's the whole secret sauce right there. And the only way to automate that is through a platform. You can't do it with form letters. You can't really do it authentically with like any kind of, you know, service, other than the way we built it. And if it's me asking you for a hand, whether it's a small donation or, hey, I'm moving this weekend. Can you give me a hand? You have a truck, right? Can I, can I borrow you for a couple hours? If I ask you that, you're probably going to go, yeah, that's fine. But if I stand up in front of a crowded restaurant and I ask for help with my check, <laughs> yeah, it's awkward. It's weird. I mean, that that's what Facebook is. So it's a completely different contextual uh scenario in terms of how that you know is conveyed to the potential donor and that makes all the difference in the world yeah i think that i think that idea of a stock standard hello this is the blue coach drum and bugle corps we are a traveling ensemble that does etc etc we are the madison (laughs) scouts we are the 17 we're the 17,000 dci champion blue devils and it's a very impersonal letter and like i sent those out and i got nothing back and then like i think as you said the very first emails i personalized i got immediate feedback of hey let's schedule a meeting and actually talk about that and i even like i'll kind of like break it down just a little bit um the way i was taught it i think it's the same way you're saying it you have a first contact and that first contact is not asking for money that first contact is hey I have a I have a um, a donation thing coming up with my ensemble. Are you cool if I put you down so I can send you more information? And then from there, because I handpicked my list of that forty people initially, then I now knew I guess not necessarily the whales, but I knew who was actually interested and who wasn't, because you can very quickly just find out who might give you money just by saying, "Hey, can we talk at some point in the future about money?" Because if you just blindside me of money, I'm broke. But like I've had kids go march drum corps where he went, Hey, Mr. Keller, I want to do this. What do you, what do you, can I talk to you later about it? And I went, yeah, sure. I'll plan for that when I have more time. And then it ended up, I gave him rides to camps because he, he found me when I was ready. Right. Step two, you guys make it super personal and automated where like once everything's in there to take care of it. And step three, I like how you very much encouraged them to reach out now a third time. Now that they've been given the materials of, Hey, do you have any questions? How can I help you out? And right. then maybe a step four for you guys to suggest to people, that's what I did. Um, I, I'm religious and I'm Christian. And the people I asked to were religious and Christian. I added a, when I sold the shows or whatever, I'm like, hey, can you just pray for me this day? And then I'll hand write you a letter and I'll send it to you. 
from the show site. And so like, even then I very much got those people in cause I made the personal months later of, Hey, this is the show that you were thinking about me at. Um, this is how I did. I made mailing lists all season. And that That's personal cool. touch is, I think why I found success. And I think it's why fans race find success well, because th- think yeah. about that for a second. Um, that is direct connection. And that is, I will do this if you do that. And yeah. that at its core is any of our thons that we do marchathon, spinathon, drumathon, singathon, we've done them all. And it is, hey, I'm invested. I'm asking you to come along for the ride with me. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'd like you to consider. And that's why marchathons, fitathons, like the $36,000 that Crown raised. It, it, it's a it, there's a little quid pro quo um, when you think about it and that's not it should never be uncomfortable and you know hey if it's important to me i care about you i hope you care about me i hope it's important to you as well and and that's the whole connection of this and you know as educators are we trying i mean we're dying to teach kids how to play better and march better and do all these things right but really we're trying to create little you know fully formed human beings you know and and launch them so you know part of that is you know there's other ownership that comes along with you know i'm participating in this ensemble and oh by the way it's really expensive like do they know does your tuba player understand that that horn they're holding on to is seven thousand dollars retail they'll go buy a new one probably not so like there there's all kinds of little teachable moments through any kind of a fundraising campaign that can be brought to bear i david i really like the personalization uh stuff you're talking about and you know it 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 makes it authentic to who you are you know and and our uh our platform has the personalization built in and given the one-to-one nature that it's not you know standing up in front of a a crowded restaurant and asking for help just to the ether you know the it's one-to-one it's you asking one person and so that on that level it already is personalized but you you know bring up a good point that one of the the bits of coaching that we provide is we recommend that each of these members give kind of a preemptive heads up to some of the folks that like hey in a day or two you're going to be getting an email from me you know would love to have you check it out right that that kind of breaks the ice it introduces the subject early and it you know that way when the email arrives they're ready for it they're you know they're better prepared to to say yes essentially i was going to uh, check my add... spam as well so actually i'm, yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for it <laughs> that's true you know it, it, it improves your open rates uh but I, I would also add that there's you know i'm back to the psychology again where uh if you've ever experienced this um the quid pro quo thing is is a real kind of sales strategy that exists like anywhere you go and i, I bet Everywhere. the next time if you ever bought a car, for example, it happens every time you walk into a car dealership. I, like the first thing that happens is they say, hi, welcome to wherever, you know, car dealership. And they offer you something. Can I get you a bottle of water? Can I get you a cup of coffee? Can I, you know, do you want a, a, a really nice guy? Then first of all, no, they come across as a really it. nice person, <laughs> but yeah, but that's not it. What they are doing is putting you in debt. They are giving you some reason to feel indebted to them they just gave me something. I need to give them something in, in return. We in have the this natural possible way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's one of those, I know, I know for some of the people that might think it's like manipulation and stuff like that. But then again, of technically everything we do is, is in debt. Like 
I will go make my wife buttered noodles, her favorite dish, not because I want her to owe me something, but just because I care about her. And, and here the difference is compared to a used car salesman. It's like, you're finding people that care about you. Like I'm not, it's, it's why, like we sarcastically put Bill Gates for years, but then he never gave anything. Cause Bill Gates doesn't care about me. Right. Like I, Obama got, or Trump, got, you know, malaria nets to, to go by, which is yeah. helpful than, than drum for. Um, yeah. And there's, so there's, say, yeah. yeah. Or even like alumni that, and stuff like that. Yeah. The, the psychology is, it, it does sound like manipulation. And I argue that when it's uh, the, the bottle of water, a cup of coffee at the car dealership, it is manipulation. And, it, you know, a bottle of water for 99 cents versus a, you know, $25,000 car, clearly the scales are a little tilted there. But the, the tendency of, of human nature to want to repay any of that debt is still baked in there. And it doesn't have to be manipulative to keep that in mind when you're speaking to your aunt or your friend or your former teacher or something. And the, it, it kind of can, because it works both ways. If you are asking them to support you, then you are naturally going to want to give them something to make it worth their while. Right now, you all of a sudden, you're the one in debt. And so keeping this process in mind, it, it helps you kind of get, uh, like keep that relationship fun and, and normal and not feel awkward about it when you understand, listen, like, you know, thank you so much. I am, you know, I'm indebted to you or whatever. Can I send you a, a letter, you know, when I'm on tour? Can I, you know, give you, you know, your example earlier, David, that is sort of repaying this, like this debt and it gets the, the relationship back to equilibrium. So that is not part of our platform per se, but it is part of the larger picture of fundraising and, you know, kind of being good at this and understanding how, you know, how these relationships work and how they factor in to something like fundraising. And one, so, I mean, there's obviously a lot there, but uh, I mean, it's for me, that's all fascinating. It's all part of it, you know? You know, one, one last thing to add to that. The last thing we want to do is load up the director or the ensemble coordinator or whoever's in charge or the kids with a big chunk of stuff to do. Like, we are not interested in that. We don't want to, we want this to be as light a lift as possible uh, in terms of the effort expended. So when you really look at like, all right, I'm going to plan a gala or an auction or some sort of a sales event, a mattress sale, like whatever it may be. If you look at that in, in terms of the hours spent coordinating logistics, facility rental, you know, janitorial, like, like all the dimensions of that, you compare that type of fundraiser to something digital, something online, something that can be pushed out virtually, something that's touchless in the era of COVID, um, it, it's a completely different proposition. And, and we want the kids thinking about it, but only this much. Like we want them focused on the performance. We want them to focus on their music, their movement, their choreo, their dots, their diddles, like all that stuff. That's the important stuff. And that's the stuff that's gonna have a memory for them. But in the meantime, we have bills to pay. You know, our, our ensembles, like, you know, the overhead is, is substantial. So we help with that. I think that's a good enough spot to kind of start wrapping up. Um, Cyrus, do you have any closing comments on this conversation? Um, only closing comments really is just, um, uh, I never realized how much of a psychological perspective there can be when it comes to how we approach um, these fundraising topics. And honestly, I found it really fascinating. It was really interesting to listen to. Uh, yeah, I definitely agree that um, it's definitely important, you know, for the performers and uh, this anyone else that is 
that need to do a speci- uh, whatever they need to do in the ensemble, they should focus on that. Uh, but developing or like having that personalization when it comes to uh, reaching out to people that would be able to help out and to really, I guess, as we mentioned earlier, drive in the accountability of looking out for the uh, financial well-being of the organization also goes a long way. So, uh, yeah, this is all uh, really fascinating. Definitely. I really like, I really like the, the fact that you guys are actually trying not to like capitalize on the activity. It's just more of a, I can tell that this is something you guys very, very much care about. Um, and I also like the, the idea of like using, I guess, this this phrase in with modern events going on can be a bad thing, but also can be a good thing. Using directors and staffs cult of personalities, the kind of like corral kids. Because as a drumline instructor of basically the same three four kids the last three years of a just as very small drumline, I've got the kids that like we were very well knew each other, and I just all we had to do was just look at them and say practice, and they would go practice. So what would happen if I, if I looked at them and said go fundraise, and they did? It's just like we have as a staff member for my director, you know, I can very much be that person doing that. Like imagine if we were just as aggressive about step sizes as a a cadet, my uniform being clean as I was about fundraising compared to like, we've all had that day during move-ins. We're just like, this stuff is stupid. Imagine if the energy we put into our ensemble, we put into our fundraising. And then I don't think fundraising would be as boring it'd still be work and it's, it's taking away from reps. Like I won't, I won't argue. It won't be fun, but like, I think fundraising has become boring because we've tried so many ineffective models for the past few years that we just, we feel like we're reaching to the ethos. So I'm really, I'm really psyched for this partnership because it's, it's nice to hear fans raise is being successful and are a group that's just like fundraising is necessary and fundraising doesn't have to be a failure. So no, it, it definitely doesn't. And we're, you know, if I'm an educator, I'm standing in front of kids. My, my primary objective is to get more out of them than they think they can give at any given moment. Right. I'm, my job is to get them to do things that kind of like mystify what they thought they could do. And, and I think there's a way to make fundraising kind of congruent with that. You know, there, there's no reason that we should approach that differently. And we set a pretty high bar for these kids, the way they march, they move, they play, you know, they emote, you know, there's, there's a lot of dimensionality to it. Um, it we we want to take this much time out of all of this. You know, th- this is the good stuff. Fundraising, I'll admit, it's a necessary evil. You want to spend less time doing it. You want to do it more efficiently. And you definitely want to do it in a way that engages the broadest amount of people in the, in the, in the shortest amount of time with the least work. And, and that's the, the whole ballgame right there. And, and there's no reason to, you know, undertake these big elaborate, you know, events, especially in the era of COVID. It, it's just not going to work out. So, um, you know, typically we're asking kids to really concentrate for a grand total of 15 minutes at the big beginning of an uh, of a campaign. That's it. It's it's relatively small ask, and, and the returns can be very very large. No, TJ, any closing comments? Yeah, I think the the necessary evil part is the the point that sticks out to me because uh, everybody fundraises. 
everybody, right? This is the performing arts. Do you know any music educators who got into this business to get rich? Absolutely not. This is the performing arts. You don't get rich in this in this activity. That's not what this is. We all have to fundraise. And so our business, and yes, it's a business, uh, is not, we're not here to get rich either. If we wanted to get rich, we could have done fundraising for, I don't know, anybody, almost anything else, right? But performing arts is not where the money is. So, I mean, we don't often talk about this, but, you know, this is a podcast. This is where you're supposed to open up on things. Uh, we all have day jobs, right? We're in the None trust of this, tree. We're, we're all <laughs> we're a family and we're all in the trust right. tree. We all have day jobs, right? None of this, fans raise as, an, as a company, as, an, as a business, does not make enough money to support the, like, you know, daily life of any of our, our team here. And the reason I want to tell you that is not like, you know, hey, look, make fun of us or something. But the point is, we don't make a lot on your campaign. We get a lot of like resistance of people who are considering fundraising with us versus, you know, a, a gala or a telethon or whatever. Uh, we get a lot of resistance because they're like, oh, well, you're just going to take money off the top. And I have never once in my life understood that line of thinking because, number one, if, if we if we were to take 50%, you still get the other 50%. You, you still have more money today than you had yesterday. That is still a net win for you, right? We don't take 50%, by the way. For the next you know, couple of weeks or months, we're taking zero. So you know, please come, come work with us. This is how seriously we're invested in this, in this idea. But the point is, you know, we don't make a lot of money. We're not here for the money. We are here for the good. We are here for the marching arts and the performing arts and to help these organizations continue to provide for their students the way we had provided for us and we have provided for our own students. Nobody's here to get rich. We're all here and, to help. And just to clarify what TJ was saying, um, the, earlier this summer, we made the corporate decision to waive all of our platform fees. Oh, so, okay. So That's actually a good pool. We take a 15% uh, platform fee from all monies raised through a campaign. And that offsets all of our coaching the facilitation of the campaign, the hosting of the campaign, um, all the you know back office operations that are a part of that. Um, what we've done in the exchange of that is, all right, we're not charging a 15% fee, but we are giving donors the opportunity to donate to fans raise and say, look, we're help us bring this uh, platform to more ensembles, to more performing arts kids. Uh, and affect more change. So you're fundraising uh, so you can actually fundraise. <laughs> in a way of thinking, yeah, which is really weird, but we're we're there. So yeah. if, it, if it works for the band, why wouldn't it work for the people who help the band? You know, exactly. Yeah. Testing that and hypothesis. What we're finding is that people are, are largely receptive to that. So, uh, and directors are too. Like, all right, well, you're not taking from my campaign. You're just asking for a little bit more from the donors. Okay, I'm good with that. Uh, so I think that, you know, if there has ever been any kind of a reservation in terms of, yeah, I don't know if I want to pay you 10 or 15% to fundraise or facilitate this. It's zero for the next, you know, for the next couple of weeks anyway. Um, up and if you launch a campaign with fans raise up until September 1st, you will pay zero fees uh, in terms of platform fees. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, um, I think we've got a good spot to wrap up. I just want to thank Brian and TJ so much for coming on the show. This has been awesome. 
Um, I want to say publicly, I'm really excited for doing more partner episodes like this in the future for you guys. So whenever you start seeing drum corps podcast episodes, look in the bottom right corner, you might start seeing a fans raise logo every once in a while, just so we can, um, one, one of the two, we'll figure it out just so we can start like knowing that this is going to be a more episode designed to kind of work with a fundraiser and stuff like that. Um, if a group is doing any of these big stuff. You know, we we have a platform that apparently, I guess, go us, Cyrus, that they like what we're doing. But also, it's it's really good to hear that like this activity needs money. It really sucks. I know a lot of the older folks are really upset about the how high tour fees are and stuff like that. But like, to be honest, when you get into why some of those tour fees are there, I can I can see a justification for like three fourths to four fifths of why those prices are so high. Oh, the extra, I'm like, eh but that's not up to me. Uh, but then like indoor fees, high school fees, you know, stuff like that. Like what if we were able to like my area fundraise enough so my kids don't need a band band fee, then that opens it up to just like, yo, literally come to band, get a uniform. We won't make you pay anything. Just come on out. Yeah. Then we can actually get back to those old score drum corps days of literally picking kids off the street and <laughs> trying to save them from getting into drugs or gangs or stuff like that now we actually can give them an after school activity that might not cost anything and that could be cheaper than like football baseball whatever it's like what if we were better than them so like that I mean, that's, that's what, the way it should be right we shouldn't yeah. be asking kids to shell out their own money to do something after school and an activity uh, that's the way it should be and, and we're yeah. just trying to help. I derailed you there david but I, i'm so no, on board with that it's good it's it's everyone can play music i'm a and especially I find it, I'm, I'm really into like the whole ethnomusicology side of America and like how hip hop gets up and stuff like that. And to like even be good hip hop, you need technology. So what if we were able to get start getting budgets in classrooms for just like a MacBook with like Muse score and like Ableton Light or something on it or something that kids can start writing? Like Cyrus, how would you have felt to like have like, hey, I want to write music and your band director was able to hand you like a laptop or an iPad, a finale on it or something because they were able to raise money for that few kids that actually wanted to start composing. How would you have felt like if you were arranging back in high school? Um, <laughs> <laughs> That'd have been a game changer, probably. Yeah, exactly, Honestly, exactly yeah. what I was gonna call yeah. it, game changer. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's, I mean, it's, it's the, the, we're providing opportunities that should have been there all along, but we live in the world that we live in. And so there's too often they are not there and money, I, I used to tell my students, and I still do, if they're considering going to Mars Drum Corps and they're like, oh, it's so expensive. The, the way I phrase it to them is do not let money be the reason you don't go. Mm-hmm. And that's that sounds all well and good. It's easy to say that, but you're like, great, somebody's still got to pay the bill, right? Well, that's what we're here for. Yeah. You know? And, and I, I know this isn't supposed to be a sales pitch, but I, I do think it's important to point out, like, there is no organization too big. There is no organization too small to, to work with us. We will take anybody. You don't even have to be in the performing arts. We, you know, we'll take a sports team. Why not? But, you know, we are here to support these, you know, opportunities and activities for students, for young performers, you know, and, you know, we've done community bands of all ages and, you know, senior cores, right? So it doesn't even have to be kid. It's, you know, the, the point here is that you can support these programs and provide these opportunities and it does not, money does not have to be an impediment. And that's why we're here. Oh, I uh, just thank you guys so much for calling the Drum Corps podcast. This has been a super awesome one. Uh, I guess we'll sign off right here. So I hope you guys have a box shop weekend. And thank you so much to Fandrays for coming on the show. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.